John chapter 1 this morning, going to jump right in to the message today. John chapter 1 is where we'll be, we'll begin reading down in verse 35. And you say, well, hey, I, I, feel, I feel like we've been in this passage for a while. And I say, yeah, I feel that way too. Um, we're moving pretty slow, um, but if there's a lot to see, you don't want to drive too fast because you'll miss most of it. And uh, John chapter 1 is one of those texts where uh, we don't want to miss it. There's a lot to glean this is the day after John has declared, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is the very next day. Our text begins in verse 35. I'd like to read that and then we'll get into a thought that I hope will be a help to us this morning. Verse 35 says, Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So, the second time that he has publicly declared, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. And at verse 37 says, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following. Notice this exchange. And saith unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They come, or they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, it's about mid afternoon. One of the two which heard John speak and follow him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth, findeth his own brother Simon. And saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. There's, we're going to stop our reading there. There's so much here. Uh, these first interactions just get me excited. The first interactions with Jesus Christ. What I love about this text is the interaction between Jesus, these first two, as he calls them or they follow him. And it's always a little awkward when you first meet someone, somebody, isn't it? Uh, you, you know, you maybe have this, this idea built up in your mind about what it's going to be like. Well, put yourself in the, in the sandals of these two, these two disciples. And this is the first time they are speaking with the Messiah. They've waited their whole lives to meet him. And I sense here some hesitation. They don't really know what to do. They don't know if they should walk next to him. They don't know if he's going to receive them. All they know is this, we want to know Jesus. And the title today is this, When You Know Jesus. See, when you know Jesus, certain things are bound to happen. And I'd like to look at that process this morning. When you know Jesus. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we need you. Pray that you'd speak to us through your word. That you'd help our minds to be focused. I know there's a lot of weariness here and maybe heavy burdens. There are things in, on people's minds uh, that we, we don't even know, most of us. And yet, I pray that for a short time that you would allow the focus of our minds and our hearts... ...to be on the truth of this text, Lord. That's where the power is. We're asking you to bless the reading of your word... ...and meet with us through it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's amazing the links that people will go sometimes in order to meet somebody, to meet, maybe let's just say the links that they'll go to meet a celebrity. I know some people that have waited hours to get an autograph. They'll, they'll camp out overnight to get tickets to something. Or uh, I was reading this week about um, at the height of Beatlemania and, and the Beatles when they were so big in, in Britain and in, in England. I was reading that at the height there were the two, two British teenage girls, 16-year-olds, that waited, camped out for four nights to get tickets into a Beatles concert. And I know that meeting a celebrity is a surreal thing, but that's, that's just crazy. But can you imagine, though, as exciting, maybe you've met somebody in, in person that you've only ever seen on television or you've only ever uh, heard about or read about. It's a surreal thing. I mean, you don't really know how to respond. You don't really know what to say. Uh, now, so then let's take that and put ourselves back in John 1 and imagine this. Imagine me the excitement of meeting someone that a nation has waited for for thousands of years. We're not talking about a celebrity. We're talking about the creator of the universe. And in this text, word is starting to get out that the Messiah has come. John the Baptist has been declaring there in the wilderness that, the, that this unassuming man that from Nazareth, that this unassuming man is the Lamb of God. People are starting to talk because he had pointed to Jesus the day before this man that many of them might have known, Jesus of Nazareth, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You talk about unexpected. No one was expecting this. It would be like, like me saying, um, I'm Ashton, go ahead and stand for me. Um, this is Ashton Everett, and, and we all agree that Ashton is a fine young man. Thank you, yes. And his beard is adequate for an 18-year-old? 18, 17-year-old. 17. 17 I mean, maybe a little more than adequate for a 17-year-old. This is Ashton. And, and so I just want you to understand, we know Ashton. Ashton's grown up in this church. I mean, just turn around so they can see that beard. Um, you, we know him. Yeah, we know him. You know him. Many of you, he's grown up in this church. So imagine then, I'm standing here this morning, and out of the blue I say this, Behold, Ashton, the next president of the United States. Why are you laughing? Hey, apparently anybody can get elected these days. So, no, just kidding. Ashton, I mean, if I was to say that, we would be like, well, I mean, I guess I can see that. Uh, maybe. Um, now, it's, it's, it's not impossible. Would it be unexpected, though? Yes, it would. This has nothing to do with Ashton. We love you. But it would be unexpected. So as random as that was, and it was random. That's what people were thinking in this text. You, you can be seated. I know you're uncomfortable. John has just declared, hey, this guy, this one, that's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And it wasn't somebody people were expecting. It was Jesus. And so I believe in this crowd there are probably three kinds of people. There are the, the deniers. The ones who immediately said, there's no way. That's, that's, no, come on. John, that's your cousin. That's Jesus. They were cousins. 
There were probably some that said, there's no way, John, you're, you're off your rocker. You're crazy. There's no way that's the Messiah. And you know why some of them were thinking that? Is because in their mind, the Messiah was going to come with giant muscles and armor. And he was going to, he was going to beat the Romans and, and bring deliverance to the nation of Israel. This Jesus didn't look like that. He was unassuming. He looked like every other person. So in that crowd, when John said, behold the Lamb of God, there were some that, they were deniers. There were some that were skeptics. I imagine they maybe thought it could be possible, but I doubt it. I mean, that's, that's Joseph's son. I mean, doesn't John know that that's, he's a carpenter? There's, there's really no way that that's him. But just in case, because John does seem convinced, I'm just going to stick around and watch. I'm curious, but I doubt it. And then, so you have deniers and you have skeptics. And then you also in that crowd, you have some that are believers. They believe what John is saying. I believe these are those that were probably already John's disciples. They were following John. They believed what John said. John had been preaching and preparing them for the Messiah. And when they saw Jesus, they probably thought, okay, I believe what John's saying. Um, I'm going to accept that this is the Son of God. And that group is who we're talking about this morning. We're talking about those that believed John's testimony. We're talking about those that when John said, behold the lamb, they were willing to follow. This is the group that wanted to know Jesus. And this morning I want to look at that thought. What it looks like when you know Jesus. See, this matters because nothing is more important for you than knowing Jesus. And nothing is more important than me. ...than knowing Jesus. Frankly, the most important thing in our lives is knowing Jesus. You know why it's important to read your Bible? So you can know Jesus. You know why it's important to come to church? So you can know Jesus Christ. You know why it's important to be around other believers... ...who are more mature than you? So that you can know Jesus Christ. It's not about going through motions. It is about knowing Jesus... But the first thing that I notice here, when you know Jesus, here's what it looks like. First, there must be a desire to know Jesus. There must be a desire to know Jesus. In verse 35, it says this, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. Jesus comes along. John again says, behold the Lamb of God. You know, most, probably, most people probably didn't believe him, but these two men standing next to him, who we know that one was Andrew, I believe that the other is John the Apostle, because he doesn't give his name, he's the writer of the book, and it was his habit to not mention himself by name, and since he doesn't give his name, I'm assuming it's Andrew and John. And when John says, behold the Lamb of God, as Jesus walks by on this second day, John is pointing people to Jesus. He's not saying, oh, there he goes, there's the Lamb of God. No, he's pointing to people to Jesus saying, that's the Lamb. Guys, that's the one you should be following. That's the one you ought to learn from. And these two key men, Andrew and John, leave John the Baptist and they follow Jesus. Verse 36 says, verse 36 says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. What I love about this is this is the calling of that first Christian church. 
We're watching it happen right here. This is big. And listen, these two men got to be part of that first Christian church because they had a desire to know Jesus Christ. Listen, I want you to understand, it's not about church. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not about singing in the choir. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not about serving in a Sunday school class. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. It's not about getting together and having a social meeting. No, they, they went to know Jesus. And sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the root motivator for all that we do as Eastside Baptist Church, as Christians, as children of God, the motivator for all that we do is to know Jesus Christ. See, the Christian life is not about religion. It's about a relationship. And if you lose sight of the relationship and trade it for the trappings of religion, you become a hollow Christian. It's all performance. Let's go back to the root of being a disciple and say, you know what? I'm doing this for because I want to know Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus begins with a want to. Friend, you have to have a want to to know him. And no one can force you to have a walk with God. That is a strictly personal decision. You know, there are some things that I can make my children do. I've got uh, three of my children in here this morning. And, and if I was to, I could make them do certain things. I, I can make them be at church. You say, how dare you? I can't believe you would force your children. Hey, my dad forced me and I'm fairly normal. You know, you know, hey, parents, don't let anybody tell you if you force your children to do something that they're going to grow up to resent it. It doesn't always work that way. Now, if they see in you a spirit and desire to do it for the right reasons, you may at times have to force them. But they've watched mom and dad do it for real. And that makes a difference. So I could force my children to come to church. I could force my children uh, to dress a certain way when they come to church. I could force my children to be involved in the activities. I could force my children to serve God. I could make my children do all of those things. And there are times when we have made them do those things. But you know one thing that I cannot force my children to do is have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, I could, I could set the table for them. I could make all, everything as easy as possible. But I cannot make them have a walk with God. I cannot force them to know Jesus Christ. And listen, it all comes down to a personal desire. It's a personal want to. And I'm asking you this morning, how's your want to? Are you going through the motions? Is it just religion for you? Or is there a desire in your heart to know Jesus Christ? And before we get discouraged about it, let me just remind you of this. Anyone can know Jesus Christ. See, these guys were fishermen. They were average Joes, and Jesus did not turn them away. In fact, look at verse 38. It says, then Jesus turned and saw them following. So think about what's happening here. They're not walking with Jesus. They're not walking next to Jesus because the Bible says Jesus is walking along, and I'm imagining that Andrew and John are walking maybe some 15 feet behind him. And the Bible says that Jesus turned and looked. They're not walking next to him. 
You know, they're not walking up there with confidence next to the Son of God. Here's what I believe is happening. These two guys, they know this is the Son of God. They believe what John has said. But they don't know what it's going to be like when they meet him. They're, they're insecure. They're uncertain. They're not like, hey, oh, you're the son of God. Hey, man, I'm going to walk right next to you. No, they're walking behind because Jesus has to turn to see them. I mean, how would you feel knowing this is the son of God? I would not have confidence. You know why? Because if he's the son of God, he knows who I am. He knows my heart. He knows the thoughts I thought yesterday. He knows the sins I did last week. If this is the son of God, he knows who I am. I'm not sure I can even walk next to him. But as they're walking, Jesus turns and looks. And it's not just a look. No, this, the word look is a studying. You know, you ever gotten that look from somebody that just bores into your soul? I mean, there's some people I can't look them in the eye because they know what I'm thinking. My, my wife, you know. When I've done wrong, I feel like my dog. I've like, I, no eye contact. He looks and studies them. And, and these guys are fishermen, by the way. You know what? It wouldn't have surprised anybody if he said, you guys need to get away. I'm the son of God. You're fishermen. But he doesn't. He says instead, what's seeking? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? What are you looking for? I mean, this is Jesus, the son of God. And he basically is, he's, he's lowering himself to the level of fishermen. These guys weren't important. They weren't influential. They were nobodies. Nobody cared about them. Nobody knew who they were. And here's Jesus looking steadfastly, saying, what seek ye? And listen, for the first words that most people had heard the Lamb of God speak in public, he didn't stand up on a stone and speak to the crowd and say, behold, who I am. No, he looked at two fishermen that nobody knew the names of, and he said, what seek ye? His first words were personal to two uncertain men who weren't even sure how, they would re how he would receive them. Friend, this is the way God works. See, if you will simply desire to know Jesus and take steps to follow him, he always responds with grace. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. There's nobody he turns away. He wants to know you. And listen, this isn't your average celebrity. You know, people wait for hours to see a celebrity. And if, they sign, if he signs or they sign an autograph, they may not even speak your name. They wouldn't even look at you. If you ask them, hey, let's go grab a bite to eat after this, they wouldn't give you the time of day because you're way down here and they're way up here. No, but this is the son of God and he really is way up here. And these are fishermen. They really are way down here. But he comes down to their level and he says, what seek ye? He's not too good for them. And listen, he's not too good for you. Now, I know, you know what I mean. He's righteous and he's holy, but he also condescends to us human beings when we have a spirit of humility and desire to know him. He turns no one away. You can know him. 
I mean, you say, I'm not even a fisherman. I'm below that. Well, if he accepted a fisherman, I'm telling you, he'll accept you. And if he can save a sinner like me, he can save you. And this room is full of people who had nothing to bring Jesus Christ. They had nothing to earn it with him. And yet he stooped down to our level and he said, are you seeking? What seek ye? Listen, he has turned no one away. The invitation's always open. And these two guys, average Joes, he says, what seek you? And they say, Rabbi, which is translated as master, says, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? Well, Rabbi means great one. John says it means master. They were saying, mentor us. Teach us. They desire to know him. They say, well, where dwellest thou? And you say, well, why would they ask him where he lives? It's kind of weird. No, here's the thing. It's as if they were saying this. We want time with you. Because, listen, if he's the son of God, you're not going to learn him and know him passing along the riverside. They say, no, where dwellest thou? Where can we go find some time with you? See, because the first thing is if you want to know Jesus Christ, when you know Jesus, then there's a desire to know Jesus. But second, if you know Jesus, then you know that it is nurtured through time spent with Jesus. You don't just get to know the Son of God in five quick minutes and okay, oh, that's all I need to know. No, when they say, where dwellest thou? They, that was them saying, we want to go spend some time. We need to sit and talk. We are interested in what you have to say and teach us. They say, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? Verse 39, he saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelled and abode with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. I mean, why stay so long? Well, you don't get to know somebody without time. Uh, they went to the place where they knew they'd learn the most about him. And friend, today I'm telling you, Jesus, knowing Jesus Christ takes effort and time. You don't know him in one minute. It's a commitment to a process. The problem is our culture is infatuated with the quick fix. Make money overnight. You're more like, give us your money. No, uh, lose weight in one simple step. Get your degree in six months. I read this week, you can be ordained as a minister online for free in 20 minutes. I'm like, why did I study for my ordination? I mean, listen, that doesn't work in most walks of life. Become a brain surgeon by tomorrow. Follow these three easy steps. Be a commercial pilot by next week and get your license today. No, listen, some things you can't rush. Some things you shouldn't rush. And you can't rush knowing Jesus. There's no shortcut. There's no quick fix. If Jesus is who he says he is, how do you expect to know him unless there's time spent? He's the God of heaven. He's the holy creator of the universe. He's all-powerful. He is all-knowing. You can know him, but there's so much to learn that you have to be willing to give your life to know him. Part of the reason there's so few genuine disciples in this culture is because we want to microwave everything. We're a fast food society. We want it now. We want it hot. We want it good. And we're not waiting. But that's not how it works when you are trying to know Jesus Christ. Andrew and John knew they needed time. 
They said, where dwellest thou? We need time. We need to sit and learn. See, you're not going to be super Christian overnight. And maybe that's why so many walk away. Being a disciple means you're a learner. It takes time and effort. But here before you get discouraged, I want you to notice Jesus' response to them. When he said, what seek ye? They said, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? And he says these three all important words in verse 39. He saith unto them, come and see. If you have a seeking heart, God says, come and see. See, if you have a desire at all to know Jesus, he says, come and see. No one is turned away. Come and see. And they did. They went to where he was staying. And they they went early mid-afternoon and they stayed till the evening. And what's interesting is I want you to notice that when they first, he said, what seek ye? They said, rabbi. Means master. It essentially means teacher. Not teacher like give me information, but mentor me. That's what it means. So when they first met Jesus, they were thinking he's a teacher. And they went into that house But don't you know that after just a short amount of time in that house, they're thinking he's way more than a teacher. They thought, well, you can teach us, you can mentor us. And little did they know that when they went into the house where he dwelt, they went in looking for a teacher. But at some point they probably realized, no, he's not just a teacher, he's our savior. He's not just a teacher, he's our savior. He's not just here to impart information. No, he's come for something bigger. Oh, now I see. When John said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is not just here to teach us. Jesus is here to reach us. He is here to die for us. He is here to be our substitute. And here's the thing about knowing Jesus. If you will give him some time, he always shows up more than you thought he would. You go in, we go in thinking, he's my teacher, that's what I need him for. And you find out, no, I needed more than a teacher, I needed a savior. See, any time that you spend time with Jesus Christ, he never disappoints. He always gives you more than you expected. And he did that for them, and he can do it for you. Listen, you've come in this morning, and you think, I just need some teaching. I just need some guidance. Well, probably, maybe that's true. But really, some in here have come for guidance and what you need is a Savior. And you need to acknowledge that you are a sinner before God. And unless someone does something with your sin, you have no hope of earning eternal life on your own. You don't just need a teacher, you need a Savior. Come with a desire to know Him. I'm assuming you've come with a desire because you're here. So now that you're here, here's the thing. Admit that you're a sinner. Confess your sins before God. Ask him for forgiveness. And listen, he died on a cross to pay for your sins. You can have eternal life if you will by faith place your trust in Jesus Christ alone. It's a free gift. All you have to do is seek. Christian, to know Christ only takes desire and time. And I'm telling you this morning, you may think you know him now. But when you truly get to know him. He's so much more than you could ever imagine. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a mentor. He's more than just a miracle worker. He's your savior. And to know him is to be more fulfilled and have more peace than you've ever thought possible. See, when you know Jesus, he never disappoints. You always find something greater in him than you came looking for. He says to everyone, come and see. See, here's what it looks like to know Jesus. It begins with a desire 
It's nurtured with time spent. And third, knowing Christ is realized with transformation. When I say realized, I don't mean, oh, I realized. No, realized means come to full fruition. Fully realized, when you know Jesus, transformation is the evidence of knowing Jesus. Look at verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, that's Simon, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. We have here the first mention of the Apostle Peter. And as a side note, when you know Jesus Christ, the more you learn about Jesus Christ, the more you won't be content until you tell everybody you know about Jesus Christ. See, here's Andrew, and he's just spent a whole afternoon and evening with Jesus. And what's the first thing he does? He goes and finds his brother Peter. And he says, you have got to come meet Jesus. He's the Messiah. And listen, the more, this is a side note. I thought about making it a main point, but we're not going to. Uh, so I have to mention it, okay? The more you know Jesus, the more you want everyone else to know Jesus. It is a sign that you know Jesus, that you have a passion to tell people about him. And therefore, it's a sign that your relationship with him is probably not what it ought to be if you don't have a passion to tell people about Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that more, but here's Andrew, and he goes to find Simon Peter, and, and he brings Peter to Jesus Christ. And I love what happens in this exchange, verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, there's that look again. That boring look into your soul. He looks at Peter and looks right into his soul. And he says, right now, you are Simon. But one day, you'll be called Cephas. Or that's Aramaic. It's Aramaic for Peter, which means stone. See, right now, Simon is just Simon. And that's a fine Jewish name. It comes from Simeon, which means God hears. But Jesus, and Jesus is not bashing his old name. He's not saying your old name's not good enough. No, he's saying, I understand, Simon, that you are Simon right now. But after you know me for a while, you're going to be called Peter. You see, that's how it works when you know Jesus Christ. Is you never remain the same. Here's Simon, and if, if Simon had never known Jesus, he would always just be Simon. But knowing Jesus would one day transform Simon into Peter, which means stone. It means strength. It means that, that Peter was one in that first church that they relied on, they depended on. He was influential. So Jesus is saying right here that, Simon, I'm going to take you from an insecure, impulsive man who rarely thinks before he speaks into a leader at the first church of Jerusalem. And after Jesus ascended back to heaven, who was the one that stood before on the day of Pentecost who stood before thousands and saw thousands come to Jesus Christ? It was Peter, Peter the rock, who they looked to for strength and guidance in those early days. But I want you to remember, if he had never met Jesus, he would have always only ever been Simon. 
See, when you know Christ, you can't help but be changed. The result of knowing Jesus is not information. It's transformation. God wants to change you from what you are into what you ought to be. And that's what knowing Jesus does for us. It changes us. The more you know, the more you change. It's like being around somebody that you just can't help but become like. The more you know, the more you become like him. And that's God's plan for us to be conformed to the image of his son. According to Romans 8, the more you know Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. He spiritually transforms us into his image. He changes us from what we are into what we ought to be. And I'm asking this morning, aren't you tired of being what you've always been? Well, get to know Jesus. If you want something different than the life you've always lived, get to know Jesus. And if you want peace and satisfaction, get to know Jesus. And if you desire to overcome that besetting sin that is constantly frustrating you, the answer starts with knowing Jesus Christ. And the way I see it is we're all on the scale somewhere. It all starts with the desire to know him. And maybe some have come in here this morning and your desire, you're seeking, you're desiring to know him, but you're just starting out. Can I just remind you, you can't be disappointed if you know Jesus. The more you know, the more you want to know. You must, but you've got to want to know Jesus personally. So I'm asking this morning, how's your desire to know him? That's for those in here that have come and you're just starting out, you're just seeking. Say, I'm just starting out on this journey. I want to know more about Jesus, but I don't know where to start. I'm telling you, he'll never disappoint you. And he welcomes everybody. He comes down to our level and says, hey, if you want to know me, I'll let you know me. You can have Jesus this morning. You've come in as a sinner, and he can transform you into his child. But it starts with desire. Christian, how's your want to? See, we, we assume that um, seekers are only those who come before they get saved. But sometimes after people get saved, they stop desiring. The want to goes away. And I'm telling you, that's a good way to be a hollow Christian. That you're just going through the motions. You're just checking off a list. You're doing it for mom. You're doing it for dad. You're doing it because you serve. You're doing it because there's an expectation of you. But you have no desire for a relationship. How is your want to don't do what you do just to be religious. Do what you do in order to know Jesus Christ. Maybe you're over here, you're seeking, or maybe you're here in this area of growth. Let me just remind you that it takes time to nurture your relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no 15-minute fix. How much time do you spend communicating with the Lord? The disciples knew they couldn't just do it in passing they said, we're going to go to the place where we can learn the most about you. Where did they go? They went to his house. Listen, it takes a personal relationship, but it also takes time and the place where you can learn the most about Jesus Christ. And the best Christians I know are the ones who walk with God personally and prioritize God's house on a weekly basis. You need to know him personally, but you also need to prioritize time in his house. You need time with him. You cannot rush this relationship. Time alone, time in his house, they went where he dwelt. And maybe you're seeking, or maybe you're in this area right here where you found Jesus, but you've not given him very much time to actually work on you. There's not a lot of growth. There's not a lot of change. 
then others maybe you're over here and you've got you've had time and now you're in the transformation stage and, and you know that God's worked and you've been doing it for a while and there's been times where you were closer to Christ but now you've kind of hit a stalemate transformation is to be the realization of knowing Jesus Christ but if the people closest to you were to be asked, how much change has taken place in your life in the last year, would they be able to identify any? Has there been any growth in you, any measurable change, any measurable transformation in your walk with God? Are you content with where you are spiritually? Can those closest to you see a difference in you? Listen, if you're not content with where you are and there hasn't been much evidence of change in your life lately, it could be that you've stopped getting to know Jesus. Your walk is distant. Your time is sporadic. And your efforts are distracted. Change, progress, growth. It's all come to a standstill. And it all goes back to the very beginning. You've got to want to know the Lord. See, you'll never become what you ought to be for Christ until you take the time to know Christ. Here's what it looks like. Desire, growth, change. You want to know if there's evidence in your life of knowing Christ. Is there desire? Is there growth? Is there transformation? If the most successful person on earth said, okay, if you'll give me one month, I'll teach you everything I know about finances. And then when we're done teaching, I'll give you $1 million to start. How many of you in here think, I think I'd probably do that. It's okay to raise your hand. Okay, all of those say, I don't need money, I've got Jesus. Okay, be honest. If he's the most successful person in the world, he says, I'll teach you everything I know about finances for a whole month. And then when we're done, if you'll give your time and effort to it, I'll give you a million dollars to start. Uh, most of us would say, I'll take you up on that offer. Why? Because the return seems very sure. And if not, million dollars, okay? Okay, so now, if the most powerful person in the universe came to you and said, if you'll give me each day I'll give you more peace than you ever wanted I'll satisfy you in ways nobody else ever could and I'll bless you spiritually beyond your imagination how many of you would do that so why aren't you because the offer has already been made it's already available because Jesus said, come and see. What seek ye? Well, come and see. In other words, if you haven't already entered into that relationship with him, it's not because he hasn't made himself available. He's so available that he stepped out of heaven and onto earth to be born and raised and then die on a cross for you. You say, he's not available to me. He's already proven his availability. The only reason we don't have the peace and we don't have the satisfaction and we don't have the spiritual blessings is not because Jesus has not made himself available. It's because we haven't chosen to take him up on an offer he's already made. 
And this morning, listen, if I would jump at the chance to get a million dollars in financial advice from the most successful person on earth, then I'm telling you, I ought to be willing to jump on the opportunity to meet and know the most powerful person that's ever existed, the creator of the universe, the holy God, who makes that offer available to every one of us this morning. So why haven't you taken him up on it? It's available to every person. Knowing Jesus is right in front of us. And I say this morning, it's time to stop playing the religious game and say, I'm in this to know Jesus. I'm not doing it for mom. I'm not doing it for dad. I'm not doing it to please somebody else. I'm not doing it to check a religious box. I'm doing this in order to have a relationship with my creator. And if you have the want to and you desire to grow and you will give him the opportunity to transform you. You know what Jesus says? Three words. Ready? Come and see. Come and see. No one's turned away. The invitation is open. And the only thing keeping you from knowing him is you. Okay, what seek ye? Well, I think after this message, I think I need to seek Jesus. Okay. Come and see. There's literally nothing holding you back from knowing Jesus Christ. Will you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's time to come and see. Friend, it's time to come and see. The opportunity is there. The invitation is there. It's time to come and see. Will you this morning be willing Maybe you say, I'm lost. I don't know that I'm saved. Okay, come and see. The opportunity, the offer's already been made. He already died on the cross for your sins to give you eternal life. Why don't you accept that this morning? Okay, to the Christian, the offer's been made for you to walk with Jesus Christ and know him. Why don't you come and see? The invitation is simple this morning. Come and see. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's do business with the Lord. Father, I just ask that you'd help us this morning to be willing to come and see. You've made the offer available. We can know you if we would simply choose it. The only reason we don't is because we've chosen not to. God, help us to come and see. And to those this morning who may not know you as their Savior, would you give them the courage to step out and meet someone up here just to show them from God's word how they can know that they have eternal life. All that you say to us is come and see. The invitation is here, it's open, it's available. Help us, Lord, to be willing to come and see. Lord, we ask that you do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name.